Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> the tradition has become, that's almost become a rote a lot of times. A lot of times we just recite the Lord's Prayer. And kind of like a lot of things just goes through our heads. We don't think about it. And I don't think that that was Christ's intent when he gave this. Um, he didn't say pray this prayer. He said pray like this or in this manner. And he also said before he gave the prayer, he, don't say, he said don't pray like the Gentiles do with meaningless repetition. Now it's okay to say the Lord's Prayer, but when we do that, I think we should think about what it means and not just you know, mindlessly repeat it. There are some religions that you know, have a set liturgy and they do it all the time. They have set prayers and people don't do it so often that it doesn't mean much anymore. And that's not true prayer. There are some religions, in fact, that have chants where they repeat meaningless things over and over and over again. And somehow that's supposed to unite you with a spiritual world. Um, but Jesus says, no, <coughs> don't do that. <coughs> he also says here um, in the beginning, he says, um, in verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And the question might be asked, well, if God already knows our needs and knows what, what we want, then why should we pray? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that, that there are two basic reasons for prayer. One is to have fellowship with God, and the other is not to coerce God into giving us what we want but to align our wills with God's will. Um, a prayer is just talking with God, uh, which is a great gift and a great privilege. If you think about it, we can talk to the creator of the universe, and he listens to us and hears us and wants to have a conversation with us. He speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him through prayer. Now, a lot of people um, pray what I call Santa Claus prayers, right? They have their, their wish list and, you know, kids around this time of the year go to Santa Claus, No, here's what I want, you know, bring it to me on, on Christmas. Uh, and a lot of people treat prayer that way, too, that it's a way to kind of coerce God into giving you what, what you want. But that's not the purpose of prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't take things that we want uh, to God and ask him uh, for those or things that uh, are a need or bother us. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, how do you get that peace that it's talking about? Well, it's by taking the things that you want and the things that you need, the things that you're worried about and bothering you, take them to the throne of God, give them to him, and then leave them there and trust him to take care of it. And that's the peace that it's talking about, knowing that he's going to take care of it. <coughs> but there's really more to prayer than that. And I think, as I said, the keys are fellowship with God and aligning our will with God's will. <coughs> um, 
James 4, 2, the last part of the verse, says you do not have because you do not ask. So there's something about prayer that God sometimes waits until we actually come to him and ask for it before he gives it to us because he really wants us to come to him. He wants that fellowship. And sometimes we don't get the things we need because we haven't gone to God in prayer and asked for it. So let's look at, at how Jesus said to pray because I think there's a lot of depth in this prayer if we really look at it. Uh, the first that speaks to me is the very first word, our. Notice Jesus didn't say your father or my father. He said our father. Um, God is not just my God or your God. He's, he's the God of all of us. He's everybody's God. Um, Matthew or Malachi 2.10 says, Do we not all have one father? Is it not one God who has created us? Why then do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? <coughs> it's important, I think, for us to recognize that and make sure that our prayers are not selfish or not self-centered. Uh, it also speaks of intercessory prayer, praying for others. Uh, there was a time a long, long time ago, I used to be a big NFL fan, had my teams, and on Sunday I would pray that God would let my team win. And, and then I realized, you know, that's kind of silly. Uh, first of all, I'd be praying for something like that, but at the same time, there may be another fan rooting for the other team making the same prayer. So from that episode, I learned uh, to make my prayers more universal and less selfish. So now, I don't do it very often, but if I do pray for a sporting event, I don't pray about one team winning or, or not. I pray that it'll be played fair, that the athletes will do their best, that no one will be injured, uh, that the winners will be gracious, uh, that the, the losers will be good losers, things that both sides uh, can agree to uh, because he is our father, not my father, our father. <coughs> Oftentimes when nations go to war, one of the questions that people ask, is God on our side? When really the question should be, are we on God's side? Right? And, um, in fact, there is a, uh, a case of that in Scripture. Uh, in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, when uh, the Israelites were ready to go into the Promised Land and uh, Joshua was about to lead the people against the city of Jericho, uh, Joshua 5, 13 to 14 says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, he raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our enemies? He said, No, rather I have come now as captain of the army of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the ground and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? So here's a case you know, where, where Joshua is basically answering, you know, is God on our side or on our enemy's side? And the angel of the Lord said, no, neither. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't take sides. That's not the important thing. I'm here as a servant of the Lord. And what was going on was really more a spiritual battle, and that's what the angel was concerned with. Um, and, but oftentimes we look at it that way. Is God on my side or God on the other person's side? And again, it's important to remember you know, that we need to be on God's side. We, 
We need to recognize God is everyone's God, not just ours. So Jesus says when you pray, pray our Father. So Father is the next word. <clears throat> and don't worry, I'm not going to go through each and every word here this morning. Father, unfortunately, today doesn't have the connotation that it had in past ages and certainly not the connotation that it had in Jesus' time. Today, unfortunately, in our culture, in our society, fathers sometimes have a bad name. There are some abusive fathers, uh, fathers who don't take care of their family, uh, unfaithful to their wives. And so some people, um, especially some women, um, have a problem with fathers. But in this context and in Jesus' time, fathers were a good thing because, and I remember when I was growing up, most of the fathers were good men who would sacrifice for their families, for their children, uh, for their wives. Uh, it had a good connotation. A father was, was someone you could go to and trust and know that he had your best interest in heart, at heart. And I was blessed. Uh, with God gave me uh, a great father who I always knew loved me, always knew I, he had my best in mind. We had a gr great relationship, and then up until the day he died, we were very close. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus is talking about. He said that's how God is. He is our father. He's, he loves us. He wants the best for us. And, and that's how we can approach him in prayer. <coughs> um, Jesus said in uh, Matthew uh, 7, 9 to 11, um, or, or what person is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he, not give him a, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So when we pray, we don't have to worry about, you know, is God going to do the right thing for me? Is God going to be good to me? Is he going to come down on me? Jesus says, don't worry about that. God loves you. He's a loving father. He's going to give you what's best for you. You know, when you ask for it, he's not going to give you something that, that's harmful or, or bad for you or anything that, that is going to hurt you. So that's how we can approach God in prayer. <clears throat> Um, so Jesus says, our Father. Then he says, who art in heaven? And there, again, there are a lot of things in that. Who art in heaven? I think it's important for us to remember, even though God is a loving, kind, generous Father, he is also a great King you know, and Lord of all. I think sometimes today we focus too much on God's mercy and love and, and kindness, you know, the fatherly aspects. And we sometimes trivialize God and forget he's also a great and powerful king. Um, and Psalm 10, 16 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his, from his land. And Malachi 1, 14, But cursed be the swindler who has, may, who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name is feared among the nations. So we can approach him as a heavenly father, but we also have to remember that he is God. Um, he is a great and powerful king, a ruler, and we have to treat him with respect. And even in our prayers, you know, to recognize 
that he's, he's due our honor and our respect you know, as the king that he is. Um, also, it says, who art in heaven reminds me that God has a different perspective than we do. Uh, we're here on earth living day to day our lives. God is in heaven. He sees things that we can't see. He knows the end from the beginning. And so when we take our prayers to him, he may answer in a different way than we're asking, not because he's, he's mean or, or wants to deny us things, but because he knows what's best for us. He knows what the future holds. He knows what tomorrow is going to bring, and he will prepare us today for what he knows is going to happen tomorrow. He has that perspective, and that's good when we pray to remember that and recognize that God does have a different perspective, um, <clears throat> and he is above us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my way, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thou art in heaven. He's in heaven. He has a different outlook, a different perspective. And, and he knows what's best for us in the long run. Um, when I was a boy, my father started out as a bricklayer, and he ended up a construction contractor, and he used to use a lot of power tools. And I always wanted to use power tools, and, and one year for Christmas, I asked for a power tool set. Uh, I'd seen it advertised on television, battery-operated. Uh, it had a, all the neat things, a drill press and, and bandsaw and table saw, you know, all the stuff that us guys like, right? <coughs> and I thought, I really wanted that. And I asked Dad to give me that for Christmas, and he said, no. He said, you can't have it. And I said, why? It's safe. I've, they show it you know, on, the, on television. Um, they had a little, I think, styrofoam, something like that, that you could cut. And the, the saws and the drills would cut through that. Uh, and it showed in, uh, on the television ad, a guy put his finger on it, and it stopped. It, it would cut through the styrofoam, but it wouldn't cut through flesh, wouldn't cut through the finger. And I said, so it's safe. I can't get hurt with it. And my dad said, and that's exactly why you can't have it. He said, when you get a little older, he said, I will teach you how to use power saws safely. And I don't want to have to break any bad habits. If you get used to getting your fingers caught in that saw and it stops, it isn't going to work when you get to the real tools. So because of my father's wisdom, his love for me, and his perspective of seeing the future um, and dealing with it at that time, I've used power tools for the rest of my life, used, I still use a lot of power tools, but because of what my father taught me, I still have all my 10 fingers, my two eyes. I've never had a, a problem with power tools. And that's the way God is. He has that perspective. He may deny us things here today because he knows in the long run it's going to be bad for us. And that's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God we serve and that we pray to. <coughs> Also, sometimes we try to tell God how to do his job, right? Have you ever done that? Maybe you've got a, you're in kind of a financial problem. Money's tight. You're struggling to pay your bills, right? And how do we pray? Oh, God, give me a raise, right? Or give me a better job, better paying job. Uh, let me win the lottery, you know, something like that. Uh, and I've learned the best thing to do is, is not tell God how to solve the problem, but take the problem to him 
and let him figure out how he's going to solve it. Okay, just tell him the problem, tell him the need, and then trust him to work it out. And it's fun a lot of times to sit back and see how he will do it. And many times he's going to come up with a solution. It's going to knock your socks off. You say, I never thought of that. I didn't see that. Right? But we have a tendency to look from our own perspective, see things the way we see them and the way we would work them out, rather than letting God do his job as God. Um, again, he's in heaven. He has a different perspective. He, he knows everything. And he knows how to solve problems for us in ways that will benefit us and bring glory to him. And when he, when he does things for me that, in a way that I hadn't anticipated, I couldn't figure out, I glorify him. I say, man, that is amazing. That's a miracle the way you work that out, right? And sometimes we kind of try to tie God's hands and advise him the way we would advise our children or others. Do it this way. So when we pray, remember, our Father, who art in heaven. <coughs> then the next one is, hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? Well, I looked it up in the Greek. Uh, the word for hallowed is uh, hagiadzo. Uh, it's related to the same word you may have heard in the Greek, hagias, which means holy. And so uh, hagiadzo uh, means uh, to honor or sanctify or to hold as holy. Uh, and that's another important aspect of God to remember in our prayers, uh, that he is to be uh, uh, the object of our worship, our awe. He's holy. He's perfect. Holiness is the antithesis of profane. You know, the opposite of holy is profane, and God is not profane. He's totally holy, totally sinless. The word in the Greek actually comes uh, from a, a, an older root word, which originally in uh, the Greek meant to awe. It was a, a, an object of awe. And we should be in awe of God for who he is, um, his perfection, uh, his character, everything. He is holy. He's perfectly holy. And that's why we can't come to him apart from the work of Jesus Christ. Because our sins, uh, he, he can't tolerate our sins as a holy God. And so he sent his son to die in our place. So when he sees our, his son's blood on us, he doesn't see our sins anymore. If you're in Christ... As far as God's concerned, your sins are gone. You're holy like him. And that's why we can go approach his throne, because our sins are gone. <clears throat> I thought of that once many years ago when, when my daughters were little. <coughs> we were, I was uh, dressed in a suit because I had to fly out to San Francisco that afternoon for a business trip. Uh, but there was a, a festival where we lived. Uh, with rides and goodies and all that stuff. And, and uh, Tracy, our younger daughter, was really young then, um, and she'd had been eating candy and, and cotton candy and stuff, and, and she had uh, gooey stuff all over her. And it was time for me to leave, and I wanted to pick her up and give her a hug goodbye, but I couldn't do that because she had all this stuff on and I couldn't get it on my suit. And I thought, you know, that's how it is with God and our sins. He loves us. He wants to take us in his arms and hug us. Uh, but because he's holy and cannot tolerate sins, he can't do it until we're cleaned up and our sins are removed. And that's what uh, God is holy and why we should hallow him and hold him as holy and confess our sins before we come to him so that we approach him in holiness as well. 
And it's a good way, too, to start our, our prayers. This comes at the beginning of the prayer. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a good way to start prayer, to start with praise and reminding ourselves who God is before we begin to pray to them. That will kind of get us, set us the tone and give us our ad, the right attitude to approach him in prayer once we recognize and remember who God is and what he is like. <coughs> um, so we are to hold God in awe for his perfection and his perfect character. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Um, that speaks to me of the eternal versus the temporary. A lot of times, many of our prayers, when I listen to prayers, they're temporary, right? We, talk, we pray for worldly things. Uh, you know, give, us a, give me a better job. Uh, get my car fixed. Sell my house. Uh, heal this person of this sickness. Uh, and those are not bad prayers. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for those. But how often do we pray for eternal things compared to what we're praying for for the temporal things? And I think that's the reminder that Jesus has for us in thy kingdom come, that we should be looking um, toward eternal future things. You know, this world and everything that's in it is passing away. And one day it's all going to be changed. And Jesus' kingdom will come to earth and he will rule as a king on earth. And that's the day we can look forward to. And it's also a good reminder in prayer, especially in times like now when the economy's having problems, there are problems with supply issues. If you've tried to get any repair items or fix anything or anything, it's a long wait and a hard effort to try to find the parts you need. Uh, we've got uh, fighting in the Ukraine, uh, fighting in, in the Gaza. Um, <clears throat> threats from other nations, a lot of things going on. Crime seems to be out of control. Uh, our politicians are in chaos. Uh, times like that, it's good to remind ourselves there is a coming kingdom. This is only temporary. And when we get into eternity, we're not going to remember any of this stuff. It's all temporary. In fact, stuff that I was praying for two years ago, I don't even remember today. You're probably the same way. Right, things that you were on that were on your heart that you were worried about two years ago. How many of you can remember what your big serious prayers were back then? You know, those things are temporary. And God wants us to focus on the future which He has for us, which is His perfection and His kingdom. <laughs> um, his kingdom uh, is not this temporary world. It's different. When He was before Pilate. Uh, he said in John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this earth. And that's a good reminder for us. So what is his kingdom? Well, Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How often do we pray for righteousness and peace and joy? That's the kingdom that's coming. That's Christ's kingdom. That's what it's really about. It's attitudes. It's not the things of the world. Paul says in Romans 8, 18 to 19, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
for the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. <clears throat> and that's another part of Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom today, it's not a kingdom in the sense that we usually think of. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, it's of righteousness and, and justice and joy. Christ's kingdom is us, the people of God. As, as Paul says, the sons and daughters of God. And so to me, that's a reminder, too, that we need to not just pray that Christ's kingdom would come, but we need to work toward that end. We need to live testimonies today that demonstrate the kingdom of Christ to others. We need to share the gospel with others. Not just pray that, that Christ will come, but do our part in, in seeing that his kingdom grows, that it becomes kingdom here on earth, that more and more people through Christ are brought into his kingdom. So that's another thing that we can pray for is opportunities to share the gospel and that God would give us a testimony that leads others to Christ because that's bringing his kingdom here. Thy kingdom come. We can be a part of that. <clears throat> then the next phrase is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. The, the Greek word here for as is hos. And that's, if you understand um, grammar, if you remember your high school grammar classes, it's a participle of comparison. What does that mean? That means what Jesus is saying is, thy will be done just the same way that it's done in heaven. Thy will be done here on earth just like it's done in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Well, from what I see in scripture, it's done immediately. It's done without debate. It's done without question. You know, it's done in faith and trust. When I see in Scripture that God commands an angel, there's no, gee, I don't want to do that, Lord. Or, well, let's think about this. Let's talk about it. What I see is God says, do this, and the angels go to it. That's how God's will is done in heaven. And that's how he would like us to do his will as well, to trust him enough that when he tells us something, we just do it. We don't have to think about it. God's already thought about it. He knows what's best. He knows what we need to do. And, and that's how we do his will. Um, one example, I think, is in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Daniel had been praying uh, that God would give him an understanding of the vision he had. And God sent an angel. Uh, Daniel 10, 12 says... Then he said to me, the, speaking of the angel, then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. Now, if you're familiar with the story, it was some time before the angel actually got to Daniel uh, because there was a spiritual battle going on and the angel was dispatched and he got held up by the, the fallen angels for a while before he got to Daniel. But what it says to me, he says, from the first day that you began humbling yourself and praying, your word was heard, which tells me God hears our prayers immediately. And it's not like he's asleep or he's off on vacation or something. You know, leave a message uh, with my secretary. I'll get back to you. As soon as we pray, God hears. And sometimes I think he's sitting up there just waiting for us to start praying so he can give us what he wants to give us. But the angel said, from the very first that your prayer, that you started praying, it was heard, and I was sent. 
And I think so God heard when Daniel started praying and he told the angel, all right, go to him. And the angel went, even though there was a spiritual warfare going on. There's no indication here that he said, well, wait a minute, God, you want me to go? Um, and there's a battle going on. It's going to be hard for me to break through. Shouldn't I take some more people with me or some more of the angels you know, go with me? Or shouldn't we wait a while and see what happens with the battle? I don't see any of that. He says, from the, from the first you started praying, the word came and I was sent. And here I am. That's the way God's will is obeyed in heaven. <coughs> um, another example, actually the word immediately is used here. Uh, Acts 12, 21 to 23, on an appointed day, after putting on his royal apparel, Herod took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people repeatedly cried out, the voice of a God and not of a man, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. So again, here, just like that, it says immediately, an angel struck him. I don't see anything in scripture that says, you know, there's any delay in God's will being obeyed or being carried out in heaven. And that's how Jesus says that we should pray, uh, that God's will would be done on earth here the same way it is in heaven. <coughs> Even the demons and Satan uh, have to obey God's will. Um, when Jesus commanded demons to come out of people. Sometimes they hesitated, but they had to come out quickly. God said, come out, and they ended up coming out. Even Satan. Excuse me, and uh, we see that in the book of Job. Uh, Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But reach out with your hand now and touch all that he has. He will certainly curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not reach out and put your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Even Satan himself cannot do anything apart from God's will. He wanted to strike down Job because Job was a great man of God and worshiping God, but he couldn't do it until he got God's permission. And even then, God set limits on him, and Satan had to live within those limits. So even Satan has to obey the will of God. He doesn't like it. He and the fallen angels have rebelled against God, uh, <clears throat> gone against God's will, but still, Satan has to come to God to get permission. And it's the same way with us. Scripture tells us that Satan can't touch us unless God allows it, and God only allows it for his glory and for our good. <clears throat> In the next chapter, Job chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, reach out with your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. <clears throat> so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So again, his first tactic didn't work. Satan couldn't do anything else until he got God's permission to go to the next step. And God gave it, again, with limitations that Satan had to work within. That's how God's will is done uh, elsewhere. And I'm always impressed and amazed when I think about that. We see that nature obeys God immediately. 
uh, when Jesus was out in the boat with the disciples and in the storm, as soon as he said, uh, be still, immediately the wind quit, the waves stopped. Uh, he commanded a fish to swallow Jonah. Immediately the fish was there, obeyed God's will. Um, he commanded uh, the ravens uh, to feed uh, Elijah. Uh, I've never had raisins br or ravens bring bread to me, um, so I think that's a miracle. But the ravens obeyed God. <clears throat> the one and only creature that I see in all of God's creation that has the option to reject God's will is us, people. We're kind of unique in that. God tolerates our rebellion, doesn't like it, and it has serious consequences for us. But unlike nature, unlike the angels, unlike the fallen angels, God lets us not do his will. I don't see anything else in God's creation that God has allowed that. Why is that? Because he doesn't want robots. He wants us to obey his will the way the rest of creation does, but he wants us to do it willingly and joyfully and gladly, not because we're slaves, but because we love God and we trust God and we have faith in God and know that his will is what's best. That's what he's looking for. And he doesn't force us to do it, but that's what he wants us to do. <clears throat> and it pleases God when we do put that kind of faith in him and trust him and do his will as it is done in heaven. <clears throat> well, how well do you obey God's will? And when you seek God's will, are you willing to do it? There are consequences for knowing God's will and not doing it. And there are examples in scripture. In uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet during the time of the Babylonian conquest of Israel. Uh, and the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar finally broke in, um, conquered uh, Judah, that time the nation of Judah, uh, they sacked Jerusalem, <coughs> took most of the people to Babylon, but he left a remnant there. The poorest were left in the land of Judah. Uh, and so in Jeremiah 42, verses 1 through 17, they came to Jeremiah because uh, now uh, you know, the, the war was over. They had lost, and they're wondering what's going to happen. So they came to Jeremiah. So uh, in Jeremiah... Uh, 42 verses 1 through 17 says then all the commanders of the forces Johanan the son of Keriah Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah and all the people from the small to the great approached and said to Jeremiah the prophet please let our pleading come before you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we have been left only a few out of many just as your own eyes now see us that the Lord your God will tell us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. So they're asking for God's will here. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I am going to pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your words, and I will tell you the whole message which the Lord gives you as an answer. I will not withhold a word from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be true and be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with the whole message with which the Lord your God will send to us. Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God 
to whom we are sending you so that it may go well for us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. So what are they doing? They're coming to, to Jeremiah saying, you're the prophet of God. Go to God, pray for him, for us, and tell us what God's will is for us. Because we're ready to do God's will, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. Right? We're going to do it. So everything's good until we get to the next chapter. It says, now at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah then he called for Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces that were with him, and for all the people from the small to the great, and said to them, This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea before him. If you will indeed stay in this land, then I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I will relent of the disaster that I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and rescue you from his hand. I will also show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your own soil. But if you are going to say, we will not stay in this land so as not to listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. Then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. If you really set your minds to enter Egypt and go in to reside there, then the sword of which you are afraid will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine about which you are anxious will follow closely after you there in Egypt, and you will die there. So all the people who set their minds to go to Egypt to reside there will die by the sword, by famine, or by plague, and they will have no refugees or survivors from the disaster that I am going to bring on them. So God said, my will is that you stay right here where you are. And I'll protect you. If you stay here, I'll take care of you. Things will be good. You'll prosper. Be no more war. You won't have any problems. Don't disobey me. If you do and you go to Egypt, whereas that's not my will, you're going to have all the problems that you're afraid of. All these things you're hoping to escape are going to follow you. <clears throat> well, that's not what the people wanted to hear. In chapter 43 of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 4, But as soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent to them, had finished telling all the people all the words of the Lord their God, that is, all these words, Azariah the son of Hoshiah, Johanan the son of Korea, and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, You're telling a lie. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you are not to enter Egypt to reside there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, is inciting you against us in order to hand us over to the Chaldeans so they will put us to death or exile us to Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to stay in the land of Judah. Now, what did they say? They made a commitment. Well, hey, if, if God's word, if his will is pleasant or unpleasant, we're going to do it. Okay, we'll do God's will. Well, then it turned out it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they wanted. And they did what a lot of people do. Ah, that can't be right. That's not what I wanted to hear. That isn't what I expected God to say. I'm not going to do it. You know, you're lying to us. We don't believe it. And they let their fears get to them and destroy their faith. 
and they refused to obey the will of God. And from history, we know that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians went ahead and the people went into Egypt. The Babylonians went into Egypt and, and conquered Egypt and destroyed the, the Egyptian temples. And they went especially into the lands where these Jewish remnant had settled. And so the war that they feared followed them, just like God said. So if you pray and seek God's will, be sure you're willing to follow it. Too many today, even in churches today, I see a lot of that. Right? I don't like what the Bible says, so I'm not going to go along with that. Issues like homosexuality and abortion and women's role in churches and other things that are clearly laid out in God's, God's word, it's not what we want to hear today. We don't want to believe that. Right? So we say, well, that isn't right. That can't be true. That's got to be culture. That was okay back in that culture, but that can't be God's will. Be careful. <clears throat> the remnant of the Jews found out the hard way. They said, yeah, we want to know God's will. God said, okay, here's my will. Do it. They didn't do it, and they paid the price. So um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even Jesus himself subjected him to the Father's will. <clears throat> in uh, Gethsemane, before the crucifixion, Jesus didn't want to undergo that. He didn't want to be crucified or humiliated. I mean, who would? But more than that, he didn't want to, He was holy. He had never sinned. He was God. He didn't want to become our sins. And that's the real horror of the crucifixion is Jesus became all of the sins that I've committed, all the sins you've committed, all the sins everybody has committed. That's what Jesus became. He didn't want that. He prayed to the Father that it would go away. He said, if there's any other way to save the people, let's do it. You know, I don't want to go through this. But how did he end? Matthew 26, 39, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not my will be done, but your will. This is what I want, but what I really want is your will. Because I trust you, I have faith in you, I know you're going to do what's best, you know, and, and I'm going to act on that. Can you pray that way? Pray, God, this is what I want, but whatever you want, if you want something different, that's what I want. Because I know you are a loving father. I know you know the end from the beginning. I know you're only going to do what's in my best interest, and that's really what I want. That's where our prayers should take us, to that point where we're willing to accept God's will in faith. <coughs> um, doesn't mean we can't plan. We can't look ahead to the future. You know, We can't make our plans and try to work out what we're going to do. But James reminds us, and... James 4.15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So even when you make your plans, even when you're planning for the future, make allowance for the will of God. God may wait until the last minute and show you that he wants something else. Be willing to do that. <clears throat> His will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. Then finally, after all of that, now he gets down to the petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's how we should pray. Try not to start out with all the things that you want, but start out with, with 
recognizing who God is. Start off with praise and honoring him and, and glorifying him and, and get your heart set right uh, with, with God and God's will. He says, give us this day our daily bread and don't worry about tomorrow. Okay? Our daily bread today. Just take it, give me what I need today. I mean, that, that's all he says is daily bread. That means our needs, fulfill our needs. Our needs in this country are usually fulfilled. It's our wants that we don't always get, right? And, and Jesus doesn't say, give me what I want. He says, give us this day our daily bread. <clears throat> um, and don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 through <coughs> 34, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his, life, to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. <coughs> so when we pray, we can pray for our needs. We can pray for our wants. But the point is, trust God to give you what you really need whether it's what you realize or not, and be satisfied with what God has given because, again, he's a loving father who wants to give us everything we need. In fact, he gives us more, more than we need. He gives us most of what we want. At least he has for me, and I'm sure he probably has for you as well. Um, <clears throat> blesses in great, <coughs> in great measure. Um, so be satisfied with what God has given you. James 4.3 says, he said earlier uh, that we don't get uh, what we want because we don't ask for it. Now in James 4.3 he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because it's going to lead us to sin or because it's selfish or it's because, not because it's not what's best for us. And James is saying sometimes your prayers aren't answered because your motives are all wrong, praying for the wrong reasons. And that's why it's good to start with all the other stuff, the, the praise and the worship and the recognizing who God is so that when we do pray and ask for things, our motives are right. We're asking for the right reasons. <clears throat> okay. Then the tough part, forgive us our trespasses. Now, as believers, we're all forgiven in Christ. We know that Christ's blood has cleansed us from all sin. Uh, past, present, and future, everything we've done, everything we're doing, everything we will do, that's all been forgiven and wiped clean. So why confess? Well, confession is good for us. <clears throat> it occurred to me recently that God points out our sins not to condemn us, but to free us from them. 
when we recognize we've sinned and we confess those sins, it helps us avoid those in the future. And that's what Christ wants. Our sins have been forgiven, but he wants us to quit sinning. We all, even though we're, we're perfect in Christ, we're, our sins have been forgiven, we still sin, right? We continue in sin and will until we are totally made perfect. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the key. Jesus wants to cleanse us from the sins that we continue to do. And that's where confession is important. So when we pray, we should acknowledge our sins, take them to God, repent, you know, and ask God's help in, in avoiding those in the future. <coughs> and then, here's that word as again, the Greek word hos, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our trespasses in the same way that we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Can you really truly forgive people? That's a good thing to do in prayer as well, is to honestly forgive people and go to God and say, I, I forgive them for what they did to me. You know, and that means forgive and forget. That mean, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm never going to forget it. That's not true forgiveness. That's not how God forgives us. So he expects us to forgive others in the same way. And if you truly want to be forgiven and cleansed, you'll forgive those who commit offenses against you. And one good reminder in that, when people do trespass against you or offend you, do things uh, that hurt you, that's kind of a little inclination of an understanding of how our sins hurt God. If people sin against you and it hurts, and a lot of times it does, doesn't it? Well, when we sin, that's what we're doing to God. So forgive us our trespasses as we forgive in the same way that we forgive those who trespass against us. God has forgiven us. He expects us to forgive those who trespass against us. The sins against us aren't nearly as big as the sins against God, and God has forgiven us for those. And then lead us not into temptation. And keep us from sinning. That follows on the, <coughs> on the temptation. Um, James 1, 13 and 14 says, No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. We tempt ourselves. We allow ourselves to fall into sin. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 has always been interesting to me. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except common to man, common to mankind, and God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Have you ever thought about that? What that verse says to me is we don't need to sin. We could live perfect lives because God won't let us be tempted. It's a promise. He's not going to let us be tempted beyond what we can endure. We don't endure it. We fall into temptation all the time. But it's not because of God. It's because we decide we're going to go ahead and do the sin. Right? God keeps us from being tempted for what we can't. So every time you're tempted, God makes sure you can endure it and not sin. And he also provides a way of escape. 
a way that you can endure it. So that's what I think this prayer is. God, help me see when I am tempted the escape and keep me in your will so I don't sin. None of us live perfect lives, but from that verse, it seems to me like we can. It's possible. God has given us everything to avoid sin. We just don't do it. And that's why we need to go back and confess it. 2 Peter 2.9 says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from a trial and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. God can keep us from sin. He can guard us against temptation. <coughs> and I know that he does that. I can, I can think of four specific times in my life when I was really tempted to do really, really bad sins. All sins are bad. But these would have had serious consequences. And in every case, it became impossible for me. I really wanted to do it. If God hadn't intervened, I would have gone ahead. You know, that temptation looked so good, I would have done it. But looking back on it, I praise God that he did not let it happen. He can keep us from sin. And each one of those sins would have had serious consequences. It could have destroyed my testimony. They could have destroyed my ministry could have destroyed my employment, my family, my marriage. I thank God that he stepped in and kept me from that. God can do it. He's done it in scripture. In uh, Genesis chapter 20, when Abraham uh, was with Abimelech, and he said that his wife was actually his sister, <coughs> and Abimelech wanted Sarah, his wife, um, and he didn't, and God gave him a dream, and uh, Abimelech was afraid. He said, I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know. He lied to me. I didn't know. Genesis 26, chapter 20, verse 6. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God has the power to keep us from sin if we will allow him to do it. We tend still to go our own way and fall into temptation because those temptations look so good, right? But God can do it, and we need to remember that in our prayers, that God keep us, uh, protect us from those things. And then, finally, deliver us from evil. And there's some controversy here whether it should be deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Um, and actually, I'm not going to go into the, the Greek grammar gets kind of complex here. Um, and uh, my take on this is the better translation is deliver us from the evil one. But um, I mean, if you're interested in the reasons and all the Greek grammar and everything, see me afterwards. I'm not going to go into it now. But because of the way the Greek is written um, grammatically, you could take it either way. It can either be translated as evil or the evil one. But I like deliver, deliver us from the evil one. And of course, who's the evil one? It's Satan. Um, and it's, there's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 33. Um, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. 
Can you imagine Satan going to God with a demand like that? <laughs> Demanding that God, God, and again, he couldn't do it without God's permission. And Jesus said, Satan's trying to get at you, but I'm praying for you. And, you know, and when you turn back and repent and come to me, uh, then teach, you know, instruct your brothers, strengthen your brothers. Jesus will pray for us to keep the evil one away. And God can keep Satan away. Satan can't do anything to us unless he gets permission from God. So it's good for us to pray, God, keep Satan from me. Bind Satan. Don't let him influence us. I pray that a lot <clears throat> when I'm about to preach or teach or do something in the ministry. God, bind Satan. Don't let him mess this up for me. And God will do it. He has that power. So deliver us from evil or from the evil one. And then finally, and this is kind of... Um, controversial too whether this last phrase actually belongs here or not some of the the ancient early ancient uh, texts include it some of them don't uh, so some bibles have it some don't but uh, i'm going to include it here it says for thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever and i like that because that takes us back to the beginning of the prayer it starts with praise and honor for god and it ends with praise and honor for god and hopefully when you close out your prayers, you're back where you started with trusting God, trusting in his will, uh, and praising him and thanking him for hearing your prayers and for the work that he's doing on your behalf. And leaving all your needs, all your cares, all your worries in God's hands, knowing that he loves you and he's going to do the best for you. And then that's when you come away with that peace of Christ that we talked about. <clears throat> So that's what I have for you this morning from the Lord's Prayer. Hopefully it's been beneficial and helpful to you. Um, and let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the testimony of Jesus, for his teaching how to pray. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we know your word says the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf because we really don't know how to pray. So even in our prayers, you intercede on our behalf. Thank you for that. Thank you for the loving care that you pour out on us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being patient with us, even when we pray the wrong way. May our prayers this year bring glory to you and draw us closer in fellowship with you and accomplish your will. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.